13 tonight. And at some point in this lifetime, we're going to finish this book of the Bible. I don't know. I think we're just going to keep coming back to it because the Lord keeps teaching me more and more stuff from it. Um, but so we're in Hebrews chapter 13. And I'll tell you, the study of Hebrews has changed my life as a believer. Um, and I hope that it's been a help to our church as well. Um, but it really has shaped and helped my faith grow so much. Uh, there's so much in this book that uh, I thought I understood about the Lord, but I didn't understand. And the Lord has really helped me come along uh, in, spiritual, in my spiritual growth as a believer. And really, that's the whole point, that God led the apostle to pen the book of Hebrews. Uh, we discovered in Hebrews chapter 6 earlier in this study that the challenge was given Leave alone the principles of, of Christ that you've already learned. Don't try to lay the foundation again. Stop trying to build, build up the foundation, then tear it down, and then lay the foundation again, and then tear it down. Just leave it alone. The truth of Christ is settled. It's established. So now that we know the finished work of Christ, let's go on to maturity. Let's go on to spiritual growth in our, in our faith in Christ. And that is the whole emphasis of the book of Hebrews. And uh, I can honestly say in studying this book of the Bible, I, felt, I, I, I have felt God grow me spiritually in solidifying my faith and, and helping me stand more confident in the finished work of Jesus Christ and what that means for us practically in our spiritual lives today. Uh, and I've enjoyed this study from the book of Hebrews. As we come to the end of the book of Hebrews and the final words of this book, uh, the author has a prayer that he offers up to the Lord. And he, he pleads to God with a request on his heart for God to help the people to whom he was writing to to experience spiritual growth. I want you to see it in Hebrews chapter 13 and verse number 20. If you're there with me, say amen. The Bible says, Now the God of peace that brought Again, from the dead, our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep through the blood of the everlasting covenant, make you perfect in every good work to do his will, working in you that which is well-pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. And amen. And here this prayer is offered up to the Lord, and it really is just a prayer for spiritual growth. It's a prayer from the heart of a spiritual leader to the people that, that he is mentoring and writing to, a prayer asking God to help them grow spiritually. And can I say, if there's anything um, that I would want to preach on the last Sunday and the last service of the year, it would be a message about praying for God's people to grow. We have not arrived. We're not even close. There's still a whole lot of growth every one of us need to experience. And as we get ready to go on into a new year, may it be a year where we can go on in our spiritual development as well. It's entirely possible for us to experience, and we've seen this already in the book of Hebrews, it's entirely possible for us to experience arrested development, spiritually speaking. Stunted growth, all right? Some of you have experienced that physically. You can, you can experience it physically or spiritually as well. And we don't want to be stagnated in our spiritual growth. We want to keep growing in our spiritual faith. And this is a prayer that is offered up in this prayer. The Lord uses the words of the apostle to teach us how we can grow spiritually. And it is a power-packed 
passage of Scripture right here that I am excited to share with you. And I don't know why God has returned my heart to this theme. A couple Sunday nights ago, we, we spoke about spiritual growth from 2 Corinthians chapter 3. Now we're back on it here in Hebrews chapter 13. But I pray you open your heart to the Lord. And I want to pray and ask God to speak to our hearts as we, as we dig into this passage of Scripture here. Because uh, in the words of this prayer uh, for the saints, the Lord teaches us three critical components involved in our spiritual growth. Or our sanctification is the Bible word for it as believers. And uh, I want to clarify what sanctification is before we, we jump into this. Um, but before we even do that, why don't we just take a minute to pause and pray and ask God to speak to our hearts. Our Father, we come before you tonight, and Lord, I, you know that we need your help to be able to convey these deep spiritual truths, and uh, you taught me some things uh, from these verses, uh, not, not nearly all that's there, I know, but you, Lord, you've given us enough to be able to, uh, to convey some truth uh, that I believe will be helpful for all of us in our spiritual growth. And I pray, Lord, we'd see tonight uh, where spiritual growth really comes from. And, uh, Lord, we get away from self-help methods and uh, uh, really just defeating methods and, and seeking growth in the new year. And that we would allow you to grow us spiritually to the place you'd like us to go. And help us to live by faith and not by our own flesh and our own strength. And I pray, God, that you'd use this message to help to that end. Your spirit would move in our hearts. With these things we pray in Jesus' name, amen and amen. Spiritual growth or sanctification, what is it? We've already studied the idea of sanctification because the book of Hebrews has a lot to tell us about that very thing. And uh, before we dive into what this, these verses have to tell us about spiritual growth or sanctification, I think it's important we remind ourselves what that really is. Sanctification, listen to me, is a once-for-all act of God that daily impacts the life of the believer. I'm going to say it again. Sanctification is a once-for-all act of God that daily impacts the life of the believer. Go back to chapter 10 with me, if you would, Hebrews chapter 10, and we'll look at verse number 14. The Bible says there in Hebrews 10, verse 14, For by one offering he has perfected forever them that what? Are sanctified. Now the, 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 the words used in that passage of Scripture describe a once-for-all act. Um, and that's what it's talking about in the context of the verse. One offering, a once-for-all sanctification. Um, that's what the scripture conveys to us. And there are many other passages we could go to. Uh, we have labored to communicate this in, in, in weeks past in this study, and I'll not labor to do that now. But the Bible does make clear to us that our sanctification is a once-for-all act of God um, that has a daily impact on our life as believers as we walk through this world. The word sanctification, it, it speaks of being set apart to the Lord. That's, the, that's what sanctification is. And uh, the, the Bible often refers to us as believers as saints. Uh, the, words, the word saints is the Greek hagios, and it speaks of uh, the set-apart ones or the holy ones. What makes us holy? Well, God makes us holy. What, what, why, why are we holy? Well, it's not because we have deserved that title. 
God makes us that way because God sets us aside for himself when we put our faith in him. That's what makes us saints. He sets us apart. We are the sanctified ones. Uh, uh, That's the privilege of being called a saint of the Lord. And so what makes you sanctified is the fact that God has set you aside or set you apart as his own. And what a blessed thought that is. I am a saint. I'm a set-apart child of God. Uh, I'm not of this world. My kingdom's not of this world, Jesus said. And friend, we might be living in this world, but we are not of this world. Uh, We have a heavenly home, and we are God's. He's claimed us as as his own. He's put his spirit inside of our hearts. And what a privilege it is. The reason I'm sanctified is because God has planted his Shekinah glory in my heart. That's something we learned in Hebrews chapter 9. God's put his, his presence in our heart. He's put his glory in our heart. We're, we're the temple of the living God. We're set apart for the Lord. And friend, I, don't, I, I know it's the last Sunday night of the year, but I'm going to try to stir you up here tonight and remind you just how special you are because of what Jesus has done for you. We're sanctified. What a blessing that is. And the Bible makes that very clear to us. You know, I was thinking about how to describe something that's sanctified. and I thought about this building right here. This building right here, um, what makes this building special? Is it the way it was built? The way it was designed? Uh, well, I mean, I don't have anything against the way it was built or the way it was designed. That's not what makes this building special. You know what makes this building that special? Because we have set it aside as our church. If we stopped having church here, in fact, we're going to build a new building. I don't know exactly what's going to happen to this building. But there may come a day when this building is not sanctified, okay? It's not set apart for God's purposes. It might be used for a business or it might be used for some other purpose. Um, I'm not sure. Um, But the fact is the only reason that this building has any significance is because this is where God's people gather to worship the Lord. In that sense, it's sanctified, all right? This mic right here, I have a really special bag for this mic. I'm not using it tonight. This is sanctified, okay? It's the pastor's mic. Right, it's sanctified for my use, okay? Um, or for any special speaker that comes, that comes to the church. And, uh, it's a silly illustration, but that is the idea of what I'm talking about, all right? We are set apart for God. We are His. That's a permanent act. And that act was affected in our life when we put our faith in Jesus Christ and His finished work. We are forever sanctified. Nothing can change that fact in our lives. And that's so critical for us to understand before we uh, can go any further with this study here tonight. And so once God sets you apart for himself, you are sanctified. That's what the Bible teaches us. Now, the means by which he sanctifies you is through his finished work. All right? God doesn't just go around and say, well, you're, you're, uh, you're sanctified and you're not, and you're sanctified and you're not. That's not exactly how it works. God has told us in Ephesians chapter 1 that the way that he chooses us as his own is through a uh, uh, Faith in Jesus Christ. It's our faith in Jesus Christ and his finished work that sets us apart as God's children. All right? Uh, but as many as received him, John 1.12 says, to them he gave the power to become the sons of God. And so that's what the Bible teaches us about how this, this sanctification comes to effect in our life. We are set apart to the Lord when we put our faith in Jesus Christ. And so now that we are believers, how does this sanctification continue to impact our lives? Well, God is working in you to make you practically 
what he has already made you positionally. I want you to see this in the book of Hebrews. Again, Hebrews 10 and verse 14. We already read it a moment ago. The Bible says, For by one offering he hath what? Perfected forever them that are sanctified. Perfected forever. Now, that's an act that God did through his finished work, and it happened in your heart when you got saved. You were perfected forever. But you go on to chapter 13, and verse number 20, or let's just read verse number 21 for sake of time. Uh, the Bible says here that the God of peace, he will, in verse 21, make you perfect in every good work to do his will. So one verse that says you're perfected forever, and the next verse it said God will make you perfect. You see the difference there? The scripture conveys two things that aren't contradictory. They're actually two, two, two sides to the same coin. Two parts to the same process. And I think it, this is what's so critical for us to understand about the essence of spiritual growth, the essence of sanctification in the Christian life. You're perfected forever, and then when, when Jesus perfects you forever through his finished work, he continues to work in your heart to make you perfect, to bring about that perfection in your life, practically speaking, in the shoes that you're walking in here today on this earth. And so uh, I'm going deep down, but I'm going to bring this back up and bring it a lot more, uh, bring it a lot more, make it a lot more practical for us here to, here tonight. So, in other words, God is using His finished work to finish His work in your life as a believer. I'll say that again. God is using His finished work to finish His work in your life as a believer. I told you at the beginning, God's not finished with you yet. He's still working on me. I used to sing that song when I was a kid, all right? And uh, now, spiritually speaking, I've already been made perfect. And uh, nothing can change that fact. But practically speaking, God is still doing a work in my life to conform me into the image of Jesus Christ. And, but, the, but the difference is, he's the one that does it. See, Philippians chapter 1. If you want to turn over there, uh, you can. Um, I put all these things in my Bible, and now they're getting in my way. Uh, Philippians chapter 1 and verse number 6, it says, We can be confident of this very thing, that he which has begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. God has began a good work in your heart, and he is going to continue to perform that work, to bring that work to pass until the day that you are brought uh, to glorification in heaven with the Lord. And uh, that is a hope-filled verse there because I, I may falter and fail, but God never does. And God is continuing the work, and he will finish the work um, that, he, that he desires to perform uh, in your heart and mine as believers. And so here is where we often get off track when we talk about the subject of sanctification. Listen to me closely on this. To think that you are more sanctified because of your performance is to insert a legalistic view into the process of sanctification. I'll say it again because I want us to get this. To think that you are more sanctified because of your performance is to insert a legalistic view into the process of your sanctification. We're going to illustrate this, and I hope to convey this in a clear way to you here tonight. But this is what we do so often when it comes to the matter of spiritual growth. 
And I'm using sanctification and spiritual growth as, syn as synonyms tonight. Understand that. This is where we get way off track on the subject of spiritual growth. All right? We come to the prospect of a new year. And we think, well, I'm going to grow more spiritually this year. And so I'm going to read my Bible every month. Wow. You must be really sanctified if you do that. I mean, seriously, the whole Bible every month. I'm going to pray for one hour every day. All right? And we make our list. Now, your goals may not be that lofty, but your goals may seem lofty to you. And you may think, I, I'm going to grow this way. Uh, by golly, I'm going to do it this year. Uh, I'm, I'm going to grow spiritually. And by the way, no, nothing wrong with reading your Bible. Nothing wrong with praying, praying more, praying longer. Nothing wrong with any of those things. But if you think by your doing those things, you are going to grow spiritually, you are gravely mistaken. That is not where spiritual growth comes from. Self-effort is not where spiritual growth comes from. It's a work of God in your heart by his spirit. That's what we'll see from our text here tonight. And, and so you can almost insert this spiritual, spiritual legalism into the idea of your, your Christian growth or your sanctification um, based off of uh, uh, your own self-effort of being asserted into the process. Now, in the Old Testament, we see this because God's people were commanded over and over and over again to do something. I want you to see this. Let's go to Leviticus chapter 20. Leviticus chapter 20. Now, I didn't give you a handout tonight, so I'm actually making you flip back and forth in your Bible, all right? Um, but hang with me here. Leviticus chapter 20 and verse number uh, 7. We'll see this here. Look at what the Bible tells, uh, the Lord tells the people to do here in the law. Let's read the verse out loud together. Are you ready? Let's begin. Sanctify yourselves, therefore, and be ye holy, for I am the Lord your God. Turn a couple chapters back. I'm supposed to read this one first. Levit Leviticus chapter 11, and let's see here, verse number 44. Verse number 44. It says, For I am the Lord your God, ye shall therefore sanctify yourselves. And ye shall be holy, for I am holy, neither shall you defile yourselves with any manner of creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. Uh, I didn't go through and count it, I should have, but over and over and over and over and over again, the people in the Old Testament, according to the law, were commanded to do something, sanctify yourselves, set yourselves apart. And all of these rules were given about how they were to follow this process of sanctifying yourself. Uh, don't touch a dead body. Um, if you touch a dead body, then, you're, then you are unsanctified, you're defiled, and you have to go through ceremonial cleansing. Uh, don't do this, don't do that. In the, in the New Testament, we see the Pharisees and scribes had taken all the sanctification laws to a whole different level. And uh, they had added tradition on top of the law. So there wasn't just the 613 laws that were given, but on top of that, there were hundreds of other traditions that all the people were expected to follow. And the end result of all of those things was, guess what? Most of the people weren't ever considered sanctified. All right? Now, one minute you could be sanctified. The next minute you couldn't. You pass a dead body or something. You accidentally touch something that was unsanctified, and all of a sudden you're unsanctified now. All right? And uh, all of these rules and systems made it almost impossible for someone to continually live in a state of being sanctified or set apart to the Lord. And they were commanded to do something here that they could never uphold in any type of permanence for themselves. You, do you understand what I'm saying here? Are you with me here tonight? 
That's what they were commanded to do in the Old Testament. But listen to me. The gospel is that you can't sanctify yourself for God. So God has made a way for you to forever be sanctified through the finished work of Jesus Christ. That's what the gospel is. Now it's not up to me to uphold this process. It's God who works in me to bring about this process of sanctification in my life, this process of spiritual growth in your life. And so now your self-effort doesn't make you more or less sanctified. It is the finished work of Christ that sanctifies you, not your own works. And that is so critical to our understanding about what we're going to look at here tonight. So practically speaking, and, and this is important for me to bring out here, Practically speaking, God desires for the ones that he has sanctified to be like him. All right? In other words, God doesn't sanctify us, set us apart for himself, and says, okay, live however you want. Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Well, God forbid. No. No, God does want us. And the Bible does say in the New Testament, be ye holy for I am holy. That's in there. And uh, uh, that is something that is emphasized in the Scripture But the difference is, it is not us trying to be holy by self-effort anymore. We have been given a source of power within our hearts that enables us to do what we never could do in our own power before. And that is the Spirit of God that He's planted in our hearts. He's the one that brings about spiritual growth. He's the one that enables us to be able to grow spiritually. And uh, uh, that is so critical for our understanding because you are not going to grow spiritually in this new year. Because you set a, a rock star list of goals for yourself. I'm all for goal setting. But if you think your goals are going to be what does it for you, then you are gravely mistaken in your spiritual understanding. I, only so far as the Spirit of God uses those goals to help you grow, will they ever help you grow. Uh, and, and I do think it's, it's important that we clarify the difference between those things. And so God designed spiritual growth or sanctification in this way for a specific purpose. And here's the, here's the purpose that we're going to see in the text in just a minute. The, way, the reason why God has designed it to where you can't, through your own self-effort, do a bunch of things to make yourself more sanctified, to make yourself grow more spiritually, is because if, if that was how it took place, guess who would get the credit? You would. You know what? I worked really hard this year, and... I really became a better Christian. You say, well, I wouldn't do that. Well, friend, you're a human being, okay? Yes, you would. And you may not intend to do that, but that's just how we're we're wired. But God made it impossible for us to be able to do this on our own. So he said, no, guess what? You need to uh, die. You you need to die. And then let my, my life be born inside of you. And then my spirit will enable you to do something that you never could do on your own. And that's live the Christian life. And that's experience Christian growth. God's spirit is the only uh, way that you would be able to grow in this, coming, in this coming new year. And so as the apostle prays in this passage of scripture, he refers to all of these things that I'm talking to you about. And he brings this across in a much simpler and a much more profound way than what I've been able to communicate to you in a few words uh, here tonight. But what I'm trying to get across to you before we even look at the text here tonight is that it is not you working really hard to be more like Jesus that brings about spiritual growth. Rather, it is God's Spirit transforming you to be less like you and to bring out more of Christ through your life. 
the gospel in you. <laughs> That's what the real good news is. All right? It's not just good that we can be saved from our sin, but now as we walk through this world, God plants himself in our heart to give us permanent victory over sin as well. And that's where the source of spiritual growth really comes from. And uh, so tonight, uh, I've labored to introduce this, this concept to you here, and uh, probably labored too long on this. But uh, with those things in mind, and I don't think we'll finish this message tonight, with that groundwork being established, I want to start diving into this text, text to start uncovering uh, three components that are involved in our spiritual growth. And I just want to convey these to you simply here. And so go back to Hebrews chapter number 13 with me tonight, if you would. And uh, let's look at these three components uh, briefly here tonight. Hebrews chapter 13 and verse number 20. The first component that's involved in our spiritual growth is the power. I want you to notice the power that's behind, that's behind our spiritual growth. The Bible says in verse 20, Now the God of peace... That brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the everlasting covenant, make you perfect or bring you to completion, bring you to spiritual, uh, spiritual uh, maturity. Verse number 20 conveys to us what is the power behind our spiritual growth. Well, I've already alluded to it here tonight, so I'll not park on this long, but let's just think about each one of these uh, uh, items that are mentioned here in this verse the first one is uh, the God of peace. Now, the God of peace. You know what empowers you to be able to grow spiritually in your relationship with God? The God of peace. Romans chapter 5 and verse 1 says, Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And friend, you could not grow spiritually. In fact, you would run from God instead of run to God unless it, unless it was for the fact that our God is a God of peace. Jesus came, and when he came into this wor world, what did the angels say? Peace on earth, goodwill to men. Jesus said, I've come that you might have peace. Uh, not as this world gives you, give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. Why? Because Jesus came to suffer for our sins on Calvary and to restore our relationship with God so that when we approach God, we don't have to come with fear. We can come with confidence because we know we're at peace with God. And uh, that is so important to the, to the idea of our spiritual growth. And so one, one, uh, one part of this, uh, one aspect of this power behind our spiritual growth is the, the peace of God. But notice going on in the verse, the Bible says, uh, this God, he brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus. Not only do we see the peace of God, but here we see the power of God. Our God is a God who could come back from the dead. And this, this is significant uh, to our uh, enabling us to grow spiritually as well. You understand that if Jesus had just died, you and I would still be dead in our sins. But because he rose again by the power of God... The Bible says he was delivered for our offenses, but he was raised again for our justification. And because Jesus lives today, we have an advocate in heaven named Jesus Christ who when we come to him in faith and say, I believe in your sacrifice, that it is sufficient to pay for, our sin, to, for my sin, the Bible says that Jesus stands in heaven and he is able to bring our case before God and offer us the free gift of salvation. And the thing that gives us the power to be saved is Jesus 
And also the thing that gives us the power to grow spiritually is the resurrection power of Jesus Christ. Listen, the only reason that you can grow spiritually here today is because you have Jesus living in your heart. You have the Spirit of Christ dwelling in your heart. If, if you were trying to grow in your own strength and your own power, you couldn't do it. Listen, they try, they've tried to do that throughout the whole Old Testament, and they never could do it. And God never intended for us in our own power to be able to live the Christian life. That's why he said, you need, to, you need to die and let my life be born inside of you. And now that we have Christ, the resurrection power of Christ, that is what enables us to be able to grow spiritually in our lives as well. And so we see the peace of God. We see the power of God. But going on in this verse, we see it says, Now the God of peace that brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep. Here we see the providence of God. <laughs> he's the great shepherd of the sheep. He's the, uh, watch, uh, uh, he's the one that gives watch care to his people. He's the one who is providential over his people. He's the great shepherd of the sheep. John chapter 10, Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. Psalm 23, the psalmist said, the Lord is my shepherd. Who, what, what better shepherd to have than the Lord Jesus Christ? He's the one that looks out for us. He's the one that preserves us. He's the one that takes care of us. He's the one that works all things together for good in our lives, even when we can't understand it, even when we can't see it. He's the one that orchestrates the events of our life, even the hard things, even the trials he brings into our life to help us grow spiritually. Well, the book of James says, hey, count it all joy when you fall into, when you fall into trials. Because God uses that stuff to bring about spiritual growth in our life. And listen, one of the reasons that we can have the power to grow spiritually is because we've got a good shepherd who's watching out for us. We've got a good shepherd who's teaching us and caring for us. And boy, these, all of these points that are given to us here are, are demonstrations of, of, of why it is that we can grow spiritually. It's God who gives us the ability to grow spiritually so we see that God, this is possible because of the God of peace, because of, uh, the, or the peace of God, because of the power of God, because of the providence of God. But as you, go, as you go on in the verse, the last part of the verse says that all this is possible through the blood of the everlasting covenant. Two things we see there. The first is the blood. That speaks to us of the propitiation of God. John, 1 John chapter 2, and verse number 1, the Bible says if... Any man's sin, we have an advocate with God, Jesus Christ the righteous, and he is the propitiation for our sins. And not for ours only, but for the sins of the whole world. Jesus Christ is the propitiation. He is, what that means is, he is the satisfactory payment. When God looks down on us in our natural state, all he sees is a sinner. But when we put our faith in Jesus Christ, Jesus looks on our account. And what he sees is paid in full. Jesus has done what was necessary, suffered on Calvary for our sins, and paid the price uh, of punishment that we deserve for our sins. You know what makes it possible for us to grow spiritually? The blood. That's what makes it possible for us to grow spiritually. That blood that sanctifies us forever. That blood that was shed, that brings us into a relationship with God. That's where our spiritual life began, was at the foot of Calvary, through the shed blood of Jesus Christ. And that's where our, that's where our spiritual growth continues to be made possible. It's through the blood of Jesus Christ. So the Bible says it's through the blood, and then it says of the everlasting covenant. That speaks to us of the promise of God. 
You see, God has set up a new covenant. We've already learned about this in the book of Hebrews. He set up a new arrangement with how he was going to relate to the people, uh, to the people in this world. And in that, in that arrangement, he said, if you put your faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ, you can be my child. You can be set apart as my own. And now when we put our faith in Jesus, he gives us the power to be able to grow spiritually. And boy, that's not just, uh, that's not just ours by, uh, by, uh, uh, by any other measure, but it's ours through the very promise of God. It's an eternal covenant. It's, that, that promise God has made to us is never going to go away. It's going to last forever. It's an eternal covenant. And so the first uh, component we see that's involved in our spiritual growth here is the, the power behind our spiritual growth. It all comes from God, from the peace of God, from the power of God, from the providence of God, from the propitiation of God, and from the very promise of God, this new arrangement that he set up with us as believers that makes it possible for us to grow spiritually. Your spiritual growth will not come from you. It will come from God if you're going to grow at all in this new year. The apostle prays, God, I want you to be with these people and help them understand that they need you to grow spiritually. That's the first part of his prayer. So we see the power behind spiritual growth. The second component I see here tonight is the process of spiritual growth. The process. Now go on to verse 21. You're still with me tonight. Say amen. You're all a little tired this last Sunday night of the year, all right? Verse 21 for, for, for clarification, it says, Now the God of peace, through all these things that we just talked about, verse 21 says, Make you perfect in every good work to do his will, working in you that which is well-pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ. In these words, we see the process of spiritual growth being described. The process of sanctification. We've already seen the power behind our, our sanctification but now we see the process by which it takes place. And three words I'll give you and then I'll explain them. Here's how the process works. Perfecting, producing, and powering. All right, I'll go ahead and tell you so you can write them down and just listen to me, okay? Uh, perfecting, producing, and powering. Let's go through the text here. Verse 21, the Bible says that God is going to bring about your spiritual growth. Verse number 20. Verse 21, it tells us how he's going to do it. He is going to make you perfect in every good work to do his will. Now, I think it's interesting that phrase, make you perfect. Um, it's, a, it's two Greek root words that are put together. And what it literally means is uh, to render you complete or to make you what you ought to be. That's the idea of what that, uh, what that phrase is talking about here in the Scripture. And here the Bible talks about a perfecting that God is striving to do in your life, that God is bringing about in your life. He wants to make you perfect, um, make you perfect uh, in every good work to do His will. In other words, in everything that you, in every business that you occupy yourself with as a believer, this is how God wants to perfect you. This is how God wants to mature you. In every business that you occupy yourself with, he wants to enable you to do his will. It's really that simple. You know, Jesus prayed in Gethsemane, a great uh, dem uh, demonstration of a, a prayer that we ought to pray every day as a believer. 
Not my will, but thine be done. The only way you'll ever grow as a believer is when you stop trying to do it all yourself and you start submitting to the Spirit of God in every business that you occupy yourself with. In every good work, God wants to make you perfect, perfect you to do His will. He wants to bring you to a place where you stop trying to do it yourself, you stop doing it your own way, and you start letting Him have control. That's what Christian maturity looks like. Right? All, all, to be mature spiritually, all it really means is that you do what God wants you to do instead of doing what you want to do. That's what spiritual maturity looks like. It's submitting to God's Spirit. It's not you becoming, oh, I, well, I know more Bible now, and so I, I, I know everything. I know, I know what you're supposed to do. You come talk to me. I know, all the, I know all the verses. I don't think any of us would say that. But sometimes we think if we read the Bible more, oh, I've studied that out. I know what you should do. No, that's, that's not how it works. Spiritual maturity, what it really looks like is, this is what God says. This is what God wants us to do. Sometimes that's hard. Sometimes spiritual, being spiritually mature means you're going to have to have hard conversations with people about things because you know what God, God wants them to do, but they, they aren't doing it. And sometimes that's true in your own life as well, all right? But that's what spiritual maturity looks like. And God wants to perfect you. He wants to make you complete. He wants to make you what you ought to be so that in everything that you occupy yourself with, you're doing what he would want you to do. That's where God's trying to bring you to. And so how, what's the process of spiritual growth look like? Well, it looks like God working in your life by his spirit to help you do what he wants you to do instead of doing what you want to do. That's the first element of it. So he's doing a perfecting work. The second word that we see in this passage is producing. Look at verse 21 again. He wants to make you perfect in every good work to do his will. And then the next word is what? Working. Working, working in you that which is well-pleasing in his sight. Now that word working in the Greek, it literally means producing. Um, he's bringing about a work in your life. He's producing something through your life. And uh, boy, we get this backwards so often when we think about the subject of spiritual growth. All right? We think that if we read our Bible more and go to church more and, and do all the things that we're supposed to do, that we'll, we'll start producing. All right? um, that's, that's, how, that, that's how it often works on, in the secular field. And so that's how we think it's supposed to work in the spiritual field. And I've heard people preach and teach about John 15 and say, well, if you would just, if you would just abide in Christ more, then you'll produce more. The problem is we've got that reversed. Okay, it's not about you abiding in Christ. It's about Christ abiding in you. That's what brings about spiritual growth. It's God that completes the work in you. It, it's God that brings about the good work in your life. And it's God that is producing this, uh, this spiritual growth that's being prayed about in this passage as well. Look at it again. It says working or producing in you that which is well-pleasing in his sight. Here's how we want to live the Christian life. I want to find out all the rules and I'm going to try my hardest to live a life that's pleasing to God. Now, on one side, there's nothing wrong with trying to do what's right. The problem is you'll never be able to do it as well as you'd like if you try to do it by yourself. 
But if you let God work in your life and work in your heart and change you from the inside out, you'll naturally, by, by, your, by your growth as a, as, a, as a believer, fulfill the things that God wants you to fulfill in your life. See, God wants to help you grow to a place where you are producing that which is well-pleasing in his sight. If you, try to, if you try to grow the fruit on your own, you won't do it. Or you'll grow some fruit, but it won't be the kind of fruit that you're wanting to grow. I'll just put it that way, okay? But if you let God work in your heart, it takes patience. It takes a lot of submission. A lot of you saying, okay, God, I'll, I'll get rid of that. Or, okay, God, if that's what you want me to do, I'll surrender to that. But if you let God cut away areas of your life and, and prune you and, and, and work on your heart and work on your life in this coming year, I'll tell you something. You'll sow a spiritual harvest in your life. God will bring forth spiritual fruit from your life. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. God wants to bring that fruit about from your heart in your life. But it won't come by you going back to your flesh to try to bring it about. The works of the flesh are manifest. That same passage in Galatians 5 says, and it goes through and gives a whole laundry list of horrible things. You try to do it in your flesh, that's what you're going to produce. You surrender to the Spirit of God. You let Christ bring about this growth in your life in this coming year. You'll enjoy a spiritual harvest. And it'll all be, and it'll all be from Him. And so, we see a perfecting in this passage. We see a producing in this passage that comes from the Lord. And the third thing I see here about this process of spiritual growth is a powering. How does God bring about this perfecting? How does God bring about this uh, producing of fruit in our lives? Well, verse number 21 tells us here that it is through Jesus Christ. It's through Jesus Christ. Jesus is the one who gives you the power to be able to see spiritual growth take place in your life. And it, that's the process of spiritual growth. Uh, Jesus, his finished work is working in your life and making it possible for you to be perfected and for you to produce spiritual fruit in your life. That's how it all takes place. And so we see the, the power behind spiritual growth. We see the process of spiritual growth. But the final thing I'll say, and we'll be done here tonight, we see the purpose of spiritual growth. Why? Why does God do all this this way? Wouldn't it be easier just to give us a whole list of things we're supposed to do and make us do it or, or take us out? <laughs> In my mind, that seems a whole lot easier, but God is a lot more long-suffering and patient than I am. And he has a grander purpose in mind. Here's the purpose. Last part of verse 21. Let's read that last part, last phrase together. To whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. You know what the purpose of spiritual growth is? The glory of God. So that God would be glorified. We know this about salvation. We are totally wicked sinners. Cannot possibly save ourselves. And we need Jesus Christ to save us. And we put our faith in Jesus Christ. He gets all the credit. He gets all the glory. Because he's the one that does the saving. Then we get saved. We want to turn around. And we want to take the credit for our spiritual growth, okay? We are glory hogs as human beings. We like credit, we like acknowledgement, and boy, we rob God of his glory all the, all the time. But as, as believers who are striving to grow spiritually, 
We are so, I, I know I am. I'm so often guilty of this. And uh, uh, I catch myself all the time struggling with this. But we're glory hogs as human beings. But just as much as our salvation was only possible by the finished work of Jesus Christ on our behalf, so is our sanctification. The only reason that I am set apart for God, that I reflect anything of Christ in my life, is because of God's Spirit working in my life. <laughs> it is not because I'm a great, deeply spiritual person. It's not because I tried to keep all the rules and uh, I, I've, become, I've, I've become a better of my own effort. It is all the grace of God through my faith in Jesus Christ. And so if spiritual growth does take place in your life, it will only come from God. And the reason God designed it that way is so that he gets all the glory, so that he gets all the credit. Friend, if you've grown spiritually this year, if you have learned something new about the scripture that you'd never seen before, can I tell you, it was God that did that. It wasn't you. You said, well, I studied the Bible more. Well, good for you, but you could, you could, read, you could read the Bible every month this next year and not get a doggone thing out of it unless God speaks to your heart. All right? The scribes and Pharisees studied the Bible till they were blue in the face, and you see how much good that did for them. You're going to grow spiritually. It's only going to come from God. And God designed it that way so that he could get all the glory. All right? One more passage of Scripture, and we'll have to be done tonight. 1 Corinthians chapter number 1. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. And verse number 23. 1 Corinthians 1, verse 23. But we preach Christ crucified unto the Jews a stumbling block, and unto the Greeks foolishness, but unto them which are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. Because the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. For you see your calling, brethren, how that not many wise men after the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. In other words, God's not interested in people who don't think they need him. As much as that is true about unbelievers, it's also true about us who are believers. God can't do anything with you. You're too mighty in your mind. You're too noble in your mind. You've got it all together in your mind. Verse 27, but God has chosen the foolish things of this world to confound the wise. God has chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty. And base things of the world and things which are despised has God chosen. The things which are not to bring to naught the things that are. Why? That no flesh should glory in his presence. But of him are ye in Christ Jesus who of God is made unto us wisdom and righteousness and what? Oh, sanctification and redemption. That according as it is written, he that glorieth, let him glory in the Lord. If you're weak, if you're despised, if you're a nobody, then you're in good company tonight. God can do something with you. <laughs> God can help you grow. You're able to understand your true condition and how much you desperately need him. God can do something with you. And in the end, he gets all the credit. And he gets all the glory. And that's what he desires more than anything else in this world anyways. 
Yes, you saw it in that last verse. God has made Christ for us our sanctification. That's our source of spiritual growth. That's what he's made Christ for us. He's the source of it all. And friend, if you want to grow in this new year, nothing wrong with making a list of, of growth goals. I think that you should. And we'll talk about that more later. But in all of it, don't forget, the only way you're going to grow anyway, spiritually this next year, is as you submit to the Lord and let him bring about that growth in your life. It's not your effort for him to be more like Jesus that makes you grow spiritually. But it is your surrender to him to let him bring about that spiritual growth in your heart. That is what will allow you to grow spiritually in this new year. Let's all bow our heads and close our eyes together. Our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed. We're going to have a moment of invitation here tonight. I have every confidence in the world that though my language is not sufficient to communicate these wonderful spiritual truths,